Well, hello again, friends. Welcome to the Make 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 podcast episode. All right, well, this is going to be episode six of the Make 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 podcast. Uh, today, I have my good friend Kristen DeGroot with us Yay. all the way from... Yay, from New York City. Uh, Kristen, if you could tell people about yourself and uh, also where could they find you on the interwebs? I am a singer and actress. Uh, Primarily, I do musical theater right now. I've been singing and acting for upwards of 20 years um, and professionally for the past like five or six years. Um, and about a year ago, I moved to New York to audition more intensively. Um, as far as the social medias is concerned, you can find me at Instagram, at Kristen T. DeGroot. That's at K-R-I-S-T-I-N-T-D-E-G-R-O-O-T. Cool. You have a website or anything that you want to throw out? Oh, I mean, I could, but it's really only useful if you want to cast me in stuff, which you totally should do. Uh, <laughs> it's just KristenDegroot.com. Nice. K-R-I-S-T-I-N-D-E-G-R-O-O-T.com. See, you're, you're lucky. You have a, an interesting name, and I've, <laughs> I've been cursed with a bland name. Um, my first name, Josh, is in the top 10 for commonality. My last name, Baker, top 10 in the US for commonality. So I've tried to get the Josh Baker or JoshuaBaker.com since 1998, but some dude in Syracuse has it. <laughs> um, yeah, when I was at UT, actually, there was another, so my full name's Joshua David Baker, and there was another Joshua David Baker. <laughs> That's the white breadest name I've ever heard. I know, which is why the name of my company is Azulox Visuals, because it's actually something interesting. Um, not that I don't like my name, not that I don't like my heritage, but for uh, to be identified by it, it's it's kind of it's kind of bland. Yeah. As far as branding goes, right. it's, it's challenging. Right. Yeah. Not so much. So I've always had to come up with unique unique names for all my stuff, just because Josh Baker is not. I can never get the URLs. I can never get the social media <laughs> handles. Yeah. Yeah. So I can always get a Zulox because it's a made up name, so it's easy. Um, yeah. So you were doing stuff here in Austin when we met um, and trying to start that hustle. Um, what, Mm -hmm. so tell me, tell me more about your move. Like what were you feeling before, uh, you moved? Like, what was that like? Uh, do you want like the lead up to the decision to move or the, the lead up to the move itself? Cause those are a lot of different feelings. (laughs) Uh, Um, uh, my decision to move was based kind of around, uh, just numbers really. Um, Based in Austin, if I were very lucky, there would be – well, this this is once I – when it went professional and mm-hmm. I decided e- even if it was like 20 bucks or 50 bucks for gas, I didn't want to work for free anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and once I did that, surprisingly enough, uh, my options dropped significantly. <laughs> um, so being based out of Austin, I found that auditioning for straight plays, Shakespeare, musical theater, anything on stage pretty much professionally, um, if I were very, very lucky in one month, I would get to four auditions. Wow. Um, just because, you know, there's like three or four theaters that you can get to and... Uh, that's that's it you know they have their season and uh fairly often 
one or two of those would be in Dallas or Houston or occasionally Oklahoma. And I would have to drive six hours to sing for 30 seconds and then come back. Uh, It's not a great system. No. So, yeah. So I hit a point where I decided that um, if if I was going to do that to myself, I might as well be a 30-minute train ride away instead of a six-hour drive. Um, and so my big motivation, I, uh, I was about to turn the camera and then I realized you can't see cause this is an audio medium. <laughs> it is an audio. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, um, my big motivation being here, uh, is I have a whiteboard on my wall that has tally marks for every single audition that I've been to in a year. And, uh, it is at since April 2nd of 2019, it is at... 123 auditions yeah and out of those 100 out of those 123 auditions how many jobs (laughs) oh that's not a nice question to ask um out of those i i have those numbers too um over here on the right in a much smaller column (laughs) we have my callbacks out of 123 auditions and by the way this is just how it is if you're a white girl who sings in new york out of 123 auditions, there were eight callbacks. Wow. Eight people expressed in any interest in seeing me again. One of them I booked. Wow. And that is, um, I think I did the math and it's something like a 15 to 1 ratio in terms of uh, like auditions to callback. Mm-hmm. Um, for guys, it's usually one in six. Yeah. Um, one in 15 for girls is pretty good wow sometimes it's closer to like one in 30 that's amazing um yeah so frustration with that with that was kind of what led up to my move yeah i mean i I mean that's this is actually uh, i know it's kind of a depressing topic for you but no it's okay it's it's actually one of the reasons i really want to talk to you i mean the whole the whole title of this podcast episode show everything is called make 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 and it's about making art making money and then making a difference. But, um, the first part of that is making your art. And if you want to be a professional at it, you know, to, so where you can devote time to do it and to be a skilled person at something, you know, you have to do it with a lot of time and energy. And basically you you know, if that's what you want us to be good at, we should also get paid at. Um, Oh, what an interesting (laughs) topic. Oh boy. Oh boy. Oh boy. Um, yeah. And I feel like I can speak to this, um, as somebody who came up in the community theater circuit and Mm -hmm. then had to kind of make the announcement, you know, friends would say like, Hey, are you auditioning for whatever? And I'd have to say, no, I'm only doing paid work now. Right. And what's funny is, uh, the feedback you get tends to be an aura of, oh, we thought you were doing this for the art. Like, we're Mm. doing this because we love it. Mm. And uh, my friends and I who have also, who've made the same journey that I have from amateur to professional have discussed why it's so important for community theaters to exist because they have such an important place in, like, in bringing up people like me who want to pursue it further and also creating a space for people who want to make art and don't want to devote their entire life to it. They just want to have fun on the weekends or on weeknights. And that's 
wonderful that they want that and they should have a space to do that. Um, but it is also kind of human nature to get a little bit myopic and to think that the way that you're doing it is the only right way to do it. So when I decided to transition to money, um, there was a little bit of, uh, a little bit of negative feedback Mm -hmm. that I got, um, which is sad because like you said, it's, it's sort of a weird double-edged sword. It's something that I wouldn't do if I didn't love it. And I, I would be willing to do it for free, but I cannot pursue it to the extent that I want to and do it for free. Yeah, I mean, I think what you're really saying is you love it so much you have to get paid so that you, because that's the only thing you want to do. Exactly, yeah. And I would hope that people want me to oh that sounds weird to say but I would hope that people want me to do it enough so that they would pay me or at least you know artists in general right we we want to support them to contribute to what they make so they can continue to make it so they don't have to you know take a day job crunching numbers right no no it's, it's so funny you know before before the quarantine before COVID and all that you know, you'd always hear like, oh, you know, a liberal arts degree, you know, what a terrible thing. They should all be engineers and software coders and da, da, da. <laughs> and then you look at like the streaming numbers and all, mm-hmm. pe- all people did was turn into Facebook Live of their favorite musicians. They watched Netflix. They watched Amazon. They watched Hulu, which is all actors, directors, writers, you know, set designers, right? All of that. And, and in times of need, all they did was turn to the arts. Yeah. Right? Nobody- I, yeah. And. And and so it's funny to me that on one hand they say, well, you know, you shouldn't you shouldn't study that. That's stupid. And on the other hand, they're like, but that's what gets me through the day. And you're like, well, don't you think don't you see the value in that? Like teachers, right? Like everybody's like teachers have it too easy, da da da. And my wife's a teacher, and they totally flipped how they teach in like a week, and came up. Oh, with that new- was that was crazy. Like just just seeing how like how teachers were like. Hey, told they were just told, hey, you're going online. And as a nation, the teachers went like, okay, yeah. we're going online. Yeah. We have like less than 48 hours. Here yeah. we go. Yeah. And they did it. And how many parents now, after having trying to teach their kid, they're like, you know what? <laughs> uh, uh, we, we had it wrong. You know what? Teachers are actually, uh, we, sh- we should give them races. Like they actually do a lot of work. Like our kids are monsters. Like, yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It, I think, I think the, the arts arts and education, you know, is such a bedrock of civilization that we kind of take it for granted. I think in, in good times we take it for granted, but in bad times, that's what gets you through. Like you want to look at the peak of Hollywood. It was in the depression because that's all they had. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think you actually make a really good point that teachers and art, it's, it's that we, they're so ubiquitous and we need them so much that we, we're we able to take them for granted. We're able to assume that no matter what we pay these people, they will continue to do it just because they have always done it. Yeah, yeah. And it, sometimes that's a good thing, you know, that, that people will, you know, sometimes that's uplifting that right now we're in a, a period where no one is being paid to create art. Right. Like just, at, at least in my performing profession, it's just not happening. It's not there. Um, I was in a, in a web seminar 
with a, with a bunch of casting directors. And one of them said, I'm getting asked all the time, like, should I send you my stuff now? Now that you've got more time, is now a good time for me to, like, tape things and send them to you? And he said, I would love to see them. I have nothing to submit you for. Right. My books are empty. Yeah. There's nothing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, most of my work is shooting weddings, live events, or corporate events, live events. Um, yeah. So you can imagine what happened to my business as well. Like there's just, there's nothing like if you can't get the, the whole point of my business as a photographer is taking pictures of people. Well, if I can't be around people, that's yeah. pretty hard business, right? That's not a, that's not a good business to be in right now. Um, but my, my hope with this all is, you know, I'm half optimist, half pessimist. Um, and the optimist half is like, you know, take market share, you know, people are going to drop out of the business because of this, you know, go and take over their business. Oh, that's exactly what I'm hoping is that like all the 18 year olds who were like, I'm going to be a star, three bucks, two bags, that they all just like get on the bus back to Ohio Yeah. and there's more room for people like me, Yeah. which is probably mean to say, but I'm, you know, not a very nice person. You know, I, I say this on a lot of my classes, a lot of my things like during the good times, you need to prepare for the bad. And during the bad times, you need to prepare for the success, you know. And so, I mean, in, in the time of quarantine, I've, I did a Voyeur series. I launched a podcast. I learned how to stream. I built a Patreon. I built a whole podcast website. But some of that is just like I have this creative energy inside of me. And, like, if I don't create and if I have no goal, I'm not a good person. You don't want to be around mm -hmm. me. Like, if I don't get that out, it when it gets out, it comes out positive. If it stays in, it almost has a negative like energy to it. Right. So there's like, yeah. a, there's like a, a covalence to it. So an internal is a negative energy because then it just turns on myself and nobody wants that. But it, when it gets out, then it's good. Um, I don't know. I don't know how, how that works for you. Cause I know that you, you know, you do a lot of other things as well. I mean, you've been in front of the camera stills video and I think you do some voice acting and you know, different things. Yeah, I mean, I, I do, but like almost everything that I do creatively, like like you, uh, involved people <laughs> to yeah. some extent. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that just, you know, that kind of, that just doesn't exist now. Um, and that's been something weird that I had to confront for myself recently because I hate being recorded as a performer. Um, mm. I think that's just me. Um, but I, I love performing live. And I absolutely hate being recorded because then I can go back and watch it. And I'm just like unbelievably cruel to myself. And so all my friends are like posting, you know, quarantine art and, you know, they, they want to make art for free and give it away and just express themselves. And I have not recorded myself once since, I mean, it's been two months and I haven't because I do not want to put myself on tape because... Because that could prove that I'm not good enough or uh, something. I have a very complicated relationship with the camera. I so I don't know if you know this about me, but I, I got my start in like um, actually in high school doing broadcast journalism, and in high school we had a daily news show that we produced four days a week, like in high school, like a five to ten minute news show every day for like an entire year, um, and I was one of the anchors. Um, I hated watching myself on camera. Hey, I still don't like being in front of the camera. Um, I don't like getting my picture taken. I don't, I know too much. Like I have too much that I know. And so then if I see mm -hmm. myself, I point out like 99 flaws in my head. I'm like, oh, well, oh yeah. Yeah. 
But yeah. Also, I, I learned, I will say this, I learned um, that, and I, I assume, I learned this from music, but I assume that it's the same for every other aspect of ourselves. Um, when we hear our own voice recorded back to us, singing or speaking, a different part of our brain lights up than when we hear any other human being on earth, hmm. which means that we are physically incapable of being objective about ourselves because it's a whole different part of the brain. Interesting. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting. I'm going to have to think about that. Yeah, that's... Yeah. So it's you know, not you. It's not your fault. Yeah. It's your brain. Yeah, I hated it also because I have a big Adam's apple. It's actually the reason I have a beard, beard a lot. And so then I would get made fun of. So like the first time I ever... Aww. Yeah, so like it moves a lot when I talk and on camera. Um, I didn't even know if it helps. I'm looking at you right now and I didn't notice. Because I have a big beard right now. But when I was in high school <laughs> and, I was, and I was 60 pounds skinnier than I am now... And I look like Ichabod Crane. And the, like literally the first time I was putting myself out there on video <laughs> and people would be like, and like, yeah, they, they were pretty mean. You know, it was high school, you know, and so they were people really mean, mean to me about it. So <laughs> it's, um, you know, but I also think, I, I think you have to be kind of a lunatic to like watching yourself. Like, I think it's a special kind of narcissism to be like, I look amazing. Like, if that's your thought, like, how do you get through the day? I mean, I, I assume that you have to be like a like a Chris Pine level of attractiveness, right? Like it's just or like Chris Hemsworth, like just objectively symmetrical, classically beautiful. I bet even they can't watch their own selves. I no, sorry. What I what I meant was, it's if I, I feel like sometimes it might be easier if you're one of the people that's considered just like universally objectively attractive. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's harder if you're not. So, for example, Adam Driver is an exceptionally talented actor. Amazing. Super talented. Also, pretty objectively unattractive. Mm. Like, he, you know, we value symmetry above everything else. He's widely asymmetrical. And he's also one of the first actors that's been really public about, I refuse to watch my own performances. Yeah. And... I don't know, you know, maybe it's not related at all, but it's got to be easier, right? If you're just like beautiful to see yourself. I I suppose it's easier. I would also think the expectations are higher. So I, I've worked with a lot of people and I've worked with some people that are just classically beautiful, like you're saying, right? Just classically, you know, statuesque, you know, beautiful. And... I think they struggle a lot anytime that they don't feel like they've lived up to that, you know, Plato's example. Mm-hmm. They know they've yeah. been it at the past or they know they've they felt it in certain moments, but any moment they don't feel it, it's a struggle. I can understand that. I, I remember reading that Henry Cavill said like when he was between Superman movies, he would like he didn't he didn't go out with girls as much because he felt like they would be disappointed if he were a little less muscular than Superman. And I was like, I bet they were fine with it, dude. Right. But like for him to be self-conscious about his body, that's crazy to me. Uh, I mean, what's the, what's the eating disorder rate in Hollywood? <sighs> right? I think 100%? They, they just do the paper diet. Yeah, I mean probably that's why everybody smokes. Right. I mean, it's I, I say this a lot, and it sounds weird coming out, but let me explain it. There's a lot of times I've said, I wish I was dumber so that I could be more successful. And what I mean by that, I have this, like, 
I find that intelligent people have doubt and they have that voice in their head that can see more than one perspective. And in some levels, it's what gives you insight into other people, right? I think to be a good actor, to be a good artist, you have to understand where other people are coming from and you have to have that empathy, you know, usually actors and artists are interesting people to talk to because they're, you know, they've either watched a ton of movies or they've read a ton of books or they've traveled. They have that, they have that desire for multiple viewpoints in their life. The -hmm. downside is having multiple viewpoints. There's always one that's going to be the critic inside your own head. And he's, Mm, that's a good point. And the critics, that voice, it's like, maybe you shouldn't go do that audition. You've already done, you know, you've already done a hundred. Why do you need to do any more? For me, it's like, why do you want to publish that photo? It's not your best work. Why did, why should you publish that? You don't want that. That's Mm -hmm. not. And just if I, man, there's times I feel like if I could just shut off that negative self-talk, that, that intelligent doubt that Mm -hmm. I would be, that I would be more successful because I would just go and do like, I would just shut up and do the work instead of like listening to like all the voices in my head. And not like I have no yeah. Oh yeah. I I had I'll never forget this that I had a, a friend and I both submitted for the same audition and uh the date for callbacks passed and neither of us heard anything. And so I was we were in a group chat and I was saying, "Man, I'm, you know, I guess I shouldn't even be disappointed. I didn't even do that well. I wasn't expecting to hear anything back anyway." And her reaction, I swear to god, was, "Oh, that's weird. I didn't get anything." They must be having a second round of callbacks later. Like that level of confidence is what I aspire to. Like yeah. the level the level of my invitation got lost in the mail. <laughs> That's that blows my mind. Like I count myself out before I set foot in the room and she's already like, "Well, that's super weird that my email has not arrived yet." But what level are the people in your industry who are actually that you would consider top of their game or most successful which one of those viewpoints do you think gets people to the top more totally honestly i feel like i don't know people at the top or even just so working i don't know pros. if i can answer your question i mean working pros yeah i mean i don't know i don't really know anybody who uh I, at least like my colleagues that I work with that doesn't struggle with that insane level of doubt. And I, I, I'd honestly, I feel like it's like half and half. I feel hmm. like you can succeed either way because the, maybe the people who have that, that intelligent doubt, like you said, which is such a great phrase. Um, maybe they can, if they can harness that constructively, they can use that to, push them even further but also the people who are dumb if they happen to be dumb and talented man their luck is never gonna run out Mm -hmm. i know those people too and they're kind of just like yeah i feel like it's gonna be fine and then it is always and it blows my mind yeah i i in in my profession i've I've seen both sides of it and i feel it it it's kind of like bowling without the bumpers i think (laughs) <laughs> I, th- I think those of us that have that doubt is like having no bumpers. And so we work really hard not to throw gutter balls. Mm, yeah. And I, th- and I think the people that just don't even, they're not even aware, maybe there's bumpers or maybe they're not. They're like, I'm just going to go throw strikes. It's going to be good. And they do. And you're like, I don't, <laughs> how do you do that? Um, yeah. It baffles me. 
you know, I use that anxiety and I, I use, I, for me, I use that anxiety to create. Um, but there's a lot of that anxiety after I've created to now what? Now what do I do with this work that I created? I don't feel it's good enough. I don't like my own work. Do I? I'm just going to hold on to it and maybe I'll figure it out later. And a lot of it just sits either on my own walls and never sees the light of day. Or maybe I'll post like a little bit of it. And so, yeah, I mean, that, that, that kind of works in both ways. It, it's fuel. It's fuel on one side, but it's fire on the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, art's art and the artistic temperament is always going to be a double-edged sword, right? Like Van Gogh is one of the greatest painters of uh, the last couple hundred years. And also he was schizophrenic and depressive, you know, like you're never going to find a healthy artist, right? Yeah. I I don't know. I mean, are, are they, it's a chicken or the egg question for me. Is it they're unhealthy and so they create art to cope? Or in their pursuit of art, does that make them unhealthy? <laughs> I mean, column A, column B, right? Yeah. I mean, I hear what you're saying about Van Gogh. Like, he's, he's actually interesting. He wasn't really successful. In it. I think he only saw in his – while he was alive, he only saw – He was like, wildly unsuccessful while he was alive. Right. One, I think one painting sold while he was alive. Yeah. He basically starved to death. But then there I was – I mean, he didn't, but like yeah. – Yeah. But then there was there's other people. Um, oh, oh God, what was his name? I just uh, he the he was a British painter, wildly successful um, in his own lifetime. Sold a bunch of prints. God, I can't think of his name. I'll I'll put it in the show notes when I when I research him. I was just looking him up a couple days ago. There's a book I want to read about him because he was like he figured out the system. He took his creative brain and was like, oh, well I'll just use this to make money then and like. Like in one year had two portraits in the, you know, in the, in the big, um, the big gallery, which is like getting one in was like a huge feat and he had two, um, Mm -hmm. and just, you know, but what's interesting, you know, he was so successful commercially. Um, but then at the end he started doing things just for himself and actually putting those out and people hated him for it. They're like, you didn't play the hits. Like I always wondered that at hmm. musicians. I always felt like a musician's career artistically was over once they released the greatest hits album. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I have no desire to listen to an album once you've made a great greatest hits album. Yeah, I I know what you mean. Yeah. I don't know if that's a weird analogy, but like, but it like okay. So Willie Nelson, right? Hugely famous for sixty years, has been famous. Wrote wrote crazy. Right, the Patsy Klein hit wrote all these songs, and then like, how do you manage people's expectations for playing the things, playing the things that they that they came to hear, but then also exciting them with something new? I mean, I I don't think there's ever really any way to manage people's expectations or to manage people in general really I guess you kind of just have to hope that the people who are your fans are also the kind of people that would want to hear new and better things from you and would want to watch you grow as a person and an artist and I mean probably the average person is not interested in that you know like but 
there are there are always going to be some people who are, you know, who want to see what new things you have to come up with. I don't know. It's uh, you're you're never not going to be punished by your art in some way, mm. whether it's, and I think maybe the better it is, you know, maybe to some extent the more punishment you invite by being you know more talented i think one of the more fascinating careers in hollywood right now if we want to talk acting a little bit is daniel radcliffe Mm. i feel like he and i would just like be really good friends oh yeah i can absolutely see that he right star of the most popular movie franchise in the last hundred years right like how many people have not seen a harry potter movie but then he's taken on such strange and interesting and diverse roles, and he just seems like he's having fun with it. He's like, well, this interests me, so I'm going to go do that. Oh, this interests me, and I'm going to go do that. Yeah, and I respect the absolute heck out of it. Versus, like, well, the other thing I was going to bring up is, like, how sick of Margaritaville do you think Jimmy Buffett is? <laughs> right? Like, how many times has he played it? And they're like, yeah, yeah, I know what you came for. Okay, okay. But it, 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 you know, the reason I bring up Daniel Radcliffe, right? Harry Potter is such an iconic role. Like, are you ever not going to remember him as that? And like, how do actors like struggle when they have something famous or something that they're well known for, and then to do something else? Like, it seems hard to like you get put in a box. Like, how do you jump out of that box? I mean, if you had an answer for that, you would. Every agent in Hollywood would be calling you. Right. Yeah, I that's mean. True. The, and and the bigger the more fame you achieve in that box, the harder it is to get out of it, right? Shirley yeah. Temple wasn't able to. Macaulay Culkin wasn't able to. Haley Joel Osment wasn't really able to. Drew Barrymore, I guess, is like the one notable exception I can think of off the top of my head. Um, Drew Barrymore and um, Jason Bateman. Yeah, yeah. But the, I feel like, but those family, those were the ones that like grow up in a family of actors mm-hmm. who, whose family can continue to get them work and help them succeed. And obviously yeah. Jason Bateman is like obscenely talented regardless. But I think, I think most of Hollywood, honestly, at least at this point, is just not even friends of friends. It's just my niece's or my like my niece or my nephew or my godmother's second cousin, right? It's just all it's all people you know. It's like and if you've lived in Hollywood and if you have a child pro- and if that child is attractive and that kid probably will be, then that kid will probably go up and be moderately successful in films. Yeah. I always I always joke that it's not who you know, it's who knows you. Yeah. Right. I always Yeah. In some of my earlier episodes of this, I, I kind of have this point where, like, it, for like as a photographer, it doesn't matter if I'm the best photographer in the world. It doesn't matter if I'm the best photographer in the nation or the state. What matters is I'm the photographer that people in my network call first. Mm-hmm. It's who in my network knows me as a photographer and is willing to call me in my own network. And if you can, if you can expand your network a little bit every year and you can stay top of mind in that network, you'll have all the work you can handle. And the problem with Hollywood, it's such a small industry. Like, people don't realize that the video game industry is 10 times bigger than Hollywood now. In terms of, like, monetary or monetary. people hired? Monetary. Oh. 
Yeah, monetary. So it's I always you know my my only point to that is that Hollywood's not as big as people think, right? The arts isn't is it's a smaller the professional arts is a much smaller world world than I think most people would think it is. Um, it, yeah. Well, and going back to your your earlier point about why do we feel why do people feel so entitled to the arts and yet so completely disinclined to pay for them, which is so interesting. Um, it could be because when people think of artists getting paid, they're not thinking of people like you and me who have mm-hmm. like, you have a mortgage and I have an apartment um, that is like eight by 10 <laughs> and costs me $850 a month. No. They're thinking of like Gal Gadot getting paid, I don't know how, like $45 million for one single movie. Right. You know, they're, I think they're not thinking, they're only thinking of like this huge disparity in wealth. Right. So it doesn't, I think they think if they can see you, if they're taking in your art in some way, maybe you're not making a Gal Gadot salary, but you're making like artist money, whatever that is. Yeah. I just had a, a conversation. One of my corporate clients, he's been really great guy. And I was, I was talking to him and he had a daughter that was getting married and, um, He's like, man, the, you know, these wedding photographers are so expensive. I'm like, no, no, they're not. He's like, yeah, he's like, it's thousands of dollars. I'm like, do you think they get all that money? He goes, well, yeah. I was like, no. I was like, <laughs> I was like, let's say, let's say a wedding photographer costs, I don't know, three thousand dollars. That's, I mean, for people to put that out, you know, that's still three thousand dollars, right? Pretty normal, yeah. Pretty normal. That's, you know, that's kind of like mid-range in the industry. But yeah. of that. What people don't understand is, I, right, I own my own business as well, visuals. Let's say I took in a $3,000 wedding client. What of that actually goes into my pocket? Well, first of all, because I'm self-employed, I pay both sides of the employment tax. So 14.5% mm-hmm. as the owner, 14.5% as the employee. So right off the top, 28, what was that? 29% immediately goes away. So now we're left. Yeah. yeah. So now we're left with like two thousand dollars. Now, if I shoot a wedding at three thousand, I have to pay a second shooter to be there. So that's another three hundred or so dollars right off the off the top. Right. So now we're down to seventeen hundred. So then from there, I had to acquire that client. Right. So I was either at a bridal show or I spent money on advertising or or something. Right. So there's a there's always a cost to a, a, a acquire. Um, a client. Maybe I had to go to a networking event that I paid to be at, or I was in an organization. So let's figure on average, it cost me $100 to acquire every wedding client. So now we're down to 1600. Well, then there's my time. So at a normal wedding, it takes me, let's say, I don't know, eight to 10 hours to shoot, probably an hour to drive, hour to drive home, easy 12, back up, all the photos, everything else, now, you know, so now you're down to like maybe a hundred an hour, but then out of that hundred an hour, we have to pay for the web service to host the photos that delivers the photos, the camera gear, the insurance, honestly, at $3,000, I maybe like actually put in my pocket seven fifty, maybe, maybe. And it takes, you know, that's 20 hours of work. Like that's not that much. Right. Yeah. If you, I mean, well, if you take it down to hourly, then I don't think you were even counting editing time, right? Oh yeah, I mean editing, 
um, backing up, making sure that you can actually get access to the files. You know, if there's an album, you know, having to design the album, right? There's a whole lot that goes into it. And I started breaking it down for him and he was like, oh, oh. I was like, yeah, so your corporate job that you think doesn't pay you much actually pays you really well. He was like, yeah, I never really thought about it that way because he just didn't have that experience. You know, he doesn't know, and nor, nor, yeah. should, nor should he have known. But, you know, you, you see a movie, you know, let's take, let's take Wonder Woman. Let's say it made a billion dollars worldwide. What did they spend to market that? $100 million? Mm-hmm. Probably $100 million to market. Easily, yeah, out of, out of a billion, assuming that that was how much it cost to make. I don't know. Um, you know, like, but yeah, it, and, then, and, and then you think about, like, the number of, uh, I, I mean, if you know anything about, like, being on a movie, the number of, like, the number of people that have to be on a set and how much they have to get paid. And oh, yeah. every one of those people needs food and a place to sit and, like, maybe in a trailer. And, every like, everybody needs an assistant and there has to be coordination and there has to be safety and insurance and stunt people. Like, I mean, it's a huge industry. Yeah. No, that... When I was in, so I actually started in film school. I know how how very like <laughs> cliche of me, but um, what, and that was in the late '90s. And and at the time, the general rule of thumb was, for every minute you see on screen in a Hollywood movie, figure a thousand man hours went into that one minute. That sounds about right, especially now with CGI. Well, and I think it's actually probably gone up by 10x since then. I think it's more like 10,000 hours. If you, I mean, think think about like an Avengers movie. How just watch the credits and start counting the names that touched production in some way. I mean, credits are like five or ten minutes, and they're going fast. But it took that many people to get that vision to completion. It's crazy to me. I honestly can't like the the it, fact that movies have reached a point where we can have something like the Avengers kind of kind of freaks me out. Honestly, like. I didn't know we were capable of this level of organization as a species. Oh, yeah. I mean, even a stage production, right? You know, we go to a play and we think it's just the actors on stage. How many lighting grips, stage hands, like dollies, scene painters. And, you know, and that's a live performance happening right in front of you. I bet for what every actor you see, there's probably 10 people, not actors yeah. that, are, that are working. Yeah, I would say that's probably a decent ratio. I mean, and, and you had just started in a traveling show, right? Am I right? Mm-hmm. Right? That stuff's yeah. got to stuff's gotta get from place to place. Mm-hmm. The actor's yeah. not the one driving the bus. I mean, maybe, but probably not. No, no, we weren't. Oh, in this case, we flew, actually, which is like a first for touring. Wow. But uh, I know, right? I know. Fancy. But yeah, no, there's, there's it's, it's just so many weird little hidden costs and expenses that you don't think about um which i i i'm really grateful to of i think you probably saw this on instagram but i very recently got to join the actors equity union yes which is a pretty freaking big deal for me yeah um especially because uh in a relatively unusual move I did not travel up through their like point system, which is the normal way to do it. I jumped straight from being non-union whatsoever to being a full status union member, um, which is great. Um, but what was crazy was like reading through all of the things that as an equity member, I'm now afforded in these protections that I have and 
you know, I'm like, obviously the minimum pay is a big deal of that, but I'm looking at more of like, if you have a problem with this, you are allowed to come talk to this person. You are required to be given like separate dressing rooms. You are, you know, the, all these like different safety and, uh, and health requirements, um, that like looking back now on my community theater time, I'm kind of like, oh, if obviously I couldn't have been equity and done these shows, but if I had been equity, wow, a lot of the really scary, dangerous things that happened that we were all kind of like, oh, live theater, like that stuff never should have happened. There oh. were incidents where people very nearly got killed and were like hospitalized. And, you know, like just so I got I was flying and I got dropped because the the guy like he wasn't a professional flight crew or anybody he was a volunteer he wasn't getting paid and he didn't really know how to do it god bless him and he dropped me out of the air and when you're in those moments you kind of think like oh well you know ah the show must go on and then looking back you go oh that was incredibly dangerous yeah all of that well and and how many of those rules exist because somebody like oh man right i'm not the first person to get dropped right right or like yeah, dressing I mean, rooms that... like all the shenanigans that happened because of that oh my <laughs> gosh yeah and that's that's why you know it kind of like i can understand why somebody would maybe be less likely to hire someone protected by the union because they their fee goes up but you're affording the actors protections that Otherwise, theaters are going to cut corners on that yeah. we know. And, I, you know, I'm, I actually don't know. Do you, is there any kind of photographer's union? Kind of. Um, so the, the big national organization is PPA, Professional Photographers of America. Um, and they do, like, certification testing. Um, there's different paths you can go to get, like, master craftsman and master photographer. And, like, there, there's a couple <gasps> different paths. Are you a have. master? No. Are no. you a master photographer? I, no. I, oh, that's, uh, that term is, anyway, <laughs> I don't want to get into the etymology of that. Um, no, no, I'm, I, no. But I've been a member for, I don't know, 10, 11, 12 years now. Um, but what it does is, like, give us group buying discount for, like, camera insurance and like they also like lobby on the behalf of working photographers and they produce a lot of educational um so it's not it's not exactly a union it's you know it's an organization um and they do great work you know they call us make sure they check up on us um like we actually get discounts at dell because we're a big group and Hmm. um you know if you need to get liability insurance like that's a great way to get it and you know they do a whole bunch to support working photographers and a lot of their a lot of their mission is educational like let's let's educate people let's get them you know to the best they can do you know business plans actually i just went to the they have a national conference every year i went this year for the first time and it was great like i love going i plan to go back again next year um my end goal was I want to be a speaker on the stage um, in the next couple of years. Um, but yeah, not without no, it's, becoming a master photographer. I know, I know. I mean, it, it's not that. Well, it, it's difficult, but not that difficult. Um, I mean, I've been doing it for long enough. It's it's not that. It's nothing that I don't already do. I just have to get tested on it. Um, but you know, it does give you that kind of badge of like. Uh, authority right you're like i went through this test this group certified me they're a national group like they know who i am you know that that should you know you know photography there's a lot of fly-by-night operations 
Um, you know, yeah, I think that sure. I think in theater, there's a lot of that same, like, we're just going to get it done. And, you know, we might have to cut some corners and maybe you get dropped out of the air. Maybe you don't. But, you know, we're just going to do it. Um, hey, you know, bada bing, bada boom. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's a lot of that with photography, right? There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of people who don't charge sales tax. And so then I come back and I'm like, no, I have to charge sales tax. Like, I have to. Like, it's not it's not a question. Like, I have to. Um mm-hmm. And they're like, well, you know, the other bid we got didn't have it. I'm like, well, that's because they're not professional. Like, yeah, you know I mean? that's because so, they need you to pay them under the table. Right. And so, you know, it, I try to do things the right way. Um, and I've always tried to do things the right way with our business. I've always run it as a business, always a separate account, all of that. You know, I've had an accountant, had a lawyer, do it right. Um, and in the long run, that pays off. But, you know, and, and honestly, those are the people that I hope go away in, in, in this time is all the jokers. If you're, if you're committed and you're willing to do things the right way and, you know, I, I have no problem with you being in the business. I'm not, I'm not your competitor, honestly. I'm not your competitor. Um, but I do have a problem with those who don't try to, you know, if there's a set of rules and they're trying to not to play by the rules to gain some unfair advantage, I have a problem mm-hmm. with that. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, yeah, I mean, the, I suppose the, the equivalent uh, in my world would be if you're not, if anytime you're at an audition and you hear somebody say, and this has happened to me more than once, if you hear somebody say, yeah, well, I'm going to do this for like a year. And then I guess if I don't like get a tour or something, then I'll probably just like go back to law school right? and, you know, or like I'll, I'll be an RN or something. I'll go to nursing school, both of which are great and noble professions, but it's kind of universally acknowledged that if you let yourself have a plan B, you will always end up with plan B because mm. plan B is so much easier than getting up at 5 a.m. to stand <laughs> in line for eight hours to sing for 30 seconds. <laughs> I, uh, John Mulaney had a stand-up routine a couple years ago, and he was like, you know how easy it is to do nothing? <laughs> <sighs> yes. He's like, it's so what? easy. Leave the house. I'd rather do nothing. I don't know. It, it always kind of sticks with me. Yeah, I mean, I, I tell people this all the time. I, a, I think to, to get anywhere in life, it's going to take a few years. Any business you start up, not just in the arts, any business you start up, it's going to take three years minimum. Right? You want to be an actor? It's going to take three years. You want to run a photo studio? It's going to take three years at a minimum. Yeah. And I, th- I think most people leave their respective plan A industries just before the success is coming. Yeah, that's probably true. You know, you, you always hear that phrase, oh, they were an overnight success. No, most overnight successes have been working at it for 20 years by the time you actually figure out who they are. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, just because you hadn't heard of them yesterday doesn't mean right. that they weren't working yesterday. Right, right, exactly. Um, yeah, that phrase always kind of rubbed me the wrong way. But yeah, no, I mean, it takes time, right? It, it, it takes time to develop who knows you. Right. A casting director that you casted for in year one, you might not have been right for that role that he was casting for at that time. But then in two years, they were like, oh, I have the perfect person. And if you're not in the industry anymore, they can't hire you. Mm hmm. So, yeah, random. well, yeah. And, and if you're not even auditioning or sorry, um, but you, you also have to like keep you have to keep putting yourself in their eye because if you're not regularly reminding them that you exist, they may have seen you two years ago and thought you would be great for something. 
but if they don't know that you're around, you know, you can't just go once and be like, oh, they know, they know who I am. You have to continually make sure that you're on people's minds, which yeah, yeah, you know, is the same. It's the reason that Coke still Ah, takes out ads. I was about to say the same thing. (laughs) That's exactly my example. Yes. No, it's exactly right. How much does Coke spend on advertising every year? Right. And Coke is the single most ubiquitous product on earth, right? Yeah. 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 But, but they don't, but they, they don't but want they, to become RC Cola. Exactly. They don't they they need to remain the most ubiquitous product yeah. on the face of the planet Earth. And to do that, they have to keep up the ridiculous Times Square ads and you know, I assume the space billboards when that becomes a thing. <laughs> yeah, I you know, to to that same point, I uh, one of our clients is Keller Williams, uh, led by the fabulous Gary Keller. Um, and he was on stage, I covered their corporate events, and he was on stage talking about most, most real estate agents, right? If you're great at real estate and you stay with it, you can make a very good living. What happens, though, is most people leave the industry before they can get their first round of referrals. Mm. The people that hired them the first time would like to hire them again, but they're no longer in the industry. Mm. And that, I feel that's kind of the same way with acting. It's the same with a lot of my work. Literally, I just got, I just did a high school senior shoot for a little brother whose bigger brother I did four years ago. And I got that shoot from like six months before that because I had done a friend of theirs. And so Hmm. if I had, if I had left the business at any time, those two referrals I would have missed out on. Yeah. Right. Right. And so that all that potential income I would have, I would have missed if I had left too soon. Yeah. Or even if you'd taken a break for like those six months even. Yeah, absolutely. And so then now that that person knows me and we did, you know, I think we did a really good job. That kid is always going to know who I am and maybe they hire me again or maybe not, but at least they know, they know who I am now. And if I ever reach out and be like, Hey, you know, remember me, we did this and this. Oh yeah. Yeah. We're cool. You know, now they're in my network. Yeah. Um, And so I always, I always find that those kind of things interesting so as, as an actor, besides going to auditions, like what, what do you do, I don't know, to advertise, I guess? Oof, I mean, that's, that's the question. Um, I actually, I don't know a whole lot about that side of it. I mean, I have a website. Um, it's, it's tricky because auditioning, it really kind of is like your only form of marketing. Mm. If you get like two... It's very easy to get too gimmicky. And if you get too gimmicky, you know, nobody wants to deal with you. I actually do have a friend uh, that I know from here who runs, she auditions, but her side business is running her own business as a branding consultant. And I've actually just been meaning to like sit her down for a while and just be like, hey, what do you do exactly? It sounds very interesting. And I have no idea, like, does it mean taking the right kind of Insta photos? What is this? Right. I, I, I've always been clueless about branding myself. The concept of me as like a, a purchasable commodity is so, you can't put me in a box, man. <laughs> but that's why Gal Gadot makes $40 million a, a show, right? I mean, a movie. You yeah. Know, she, she became a commodity that, that, that could be sold. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, Wonder Woman is a very easily packaged commodity. Yeah. I mean, people are willing to spend that because it's worth that it's worth it to have 
right? She caught, you know, not, not to say she caught lightning in a bottle, but not every movie does that amount. Right. But once you're, once you're at that level and you get famous for it, you kind of, you know, you have leverage. I, I always joke if as an artist, if you ever get the chance to sell out, do it. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> Like, how many bad movies did, or like, not you know, how many movies did Gal Gadot have to go through to get, like, the first, like, sidekick role? And then how many sidekick roles did she have to get before she actually got a chance to be the lead? And then that mm-hmm. one, you know, then that lead blew up. You know, like, how many, how many hours did she put into it? I mean, I don't need the answer. That's not what I'm, it's just a rhetorical question in the sense of, yeah. like, you know, I, I think I think people always kind of back to your original question, you know, or original statement when you're talking about being community th- theater. People are like, oh, I thought you were doing it for the art, man. Doing it for the art doesn't doesn't keep my rent paid. I, I can't get <laughs> I can't get paid an exposure. Uh, it doesn't. Yeah. Well, and, and, so, and actually, you you made a great point about saying, um, you know, making the point of how you how you were saying like out of maybe three grand, this much goes into my pocket, and out of maybe for every one actor you see on stage, there's 10 people backstage for every, you may think that like, I only work, um, you know, the two hours that I'm on stage and people may only think like, you're only working for the, I don't know, the, the eight hours that you're at a wedding, but right. It's like the story about how a guy gets, you know, a guy, a workman gets called out, and they for a squeaky yeah. floorboard and they put him you know he says you're paying me 500 bucks because i know where to put the nail to make it stop squeaking right you're you're paying me for again please pay me you're theoretically <laughs> hopefully paying me for all the time that i like the the for every hour you see me there are 4000 5000 hours of work that i've put in that you're not seeing oh yeah i would i would love to know not how many hours I've worked, but just how many hours I've spent going to my jobs. Mm. Like just all the drive time and then get there and then wait. Like, you know, you talk about like not working, but like how many hours does it take to do an audition? <laughs> is that a real question? Cause the answer is really gross. Yeah, no, I'm I'm actually really curious. 10? Um, 20? 100? Well, well, wait, do you mean like like how many how many hours goes into one audition? Yeah. Okay. Um as a non-equity, you wake up at 5 a.m. to get your name on the list. Um and then you wait all day because being on the list is no guarantee that you'll get seen. It just means they'll call your name once and if you happen to be in the room when they call it, if they call it, then you might get seen. But first, they have to go through all the people who are union and all the people who are on the list to become union. So your name probably won't get called until like three or four o'clock if you're lucky. So you've been up since five. You've been out and about since five. You've had a full face of makeup on since five. And you're sitting in this waiting room that you've been sitting in since five o'clock. Except not because they don't open the building until 9 a.m. So you have to find something to do in those four hours where you're locked out of the building and it's 40 degrees outside. Uh, And then if you're really, really lucky, at about four o'clock they let you in and you get to sing 30 seconds of a song. And they say, 
great, thanks for coming in. And then you leave and you do the whole thing again the next day. And then from that point, what's the average time before you would hear a yes or a no? I mean, if it's a no, you'll never hear from them. Well, ever. Yeah, but. Um, I mean, you you might hear in the room. You might hear... I mean, geez, I had a friend hear back some, like two months after an audition once. It's it's totally, I mean, you kind of, you're just like continually throwing spaghetti at a wall of casting directors. Like so much so that you, you just forget. I, I have been to auditions and texted a friend saying, hey, you should come to this. And she texted me back saying, you auditioned for this on Monday. They already had auditions. Go home and rest. But like wow. you just lose track. But do you think that some of that is also in a sense like the weed out process of like if you don't have the intestinal fortitude to go through it during the hard times, like once you get even a little success, well, you know, it, it's a humbling experience to be sure. And so does that keep it humble in a way? Like if every audition they just said yes, like you would be neurotic in another way, right? Like you'd be like, oh, I, right. It would, it would, it, it would be almost unrealistic to think, right? Even saying that made you, you laugh. And yeah. so <laughs> is that kind of a way to like, to weed out for the people that are really driven? I think that's probably true. I mean, we're kind of on the last getting into like a little bit more of the of like the theater lore here but we're kind of in the last era of like the golden age where there was such a thing as divas like patty lupone and bet midler they're kind of the last holdouts of this era where you you know it was like the the diva the star which is not necessarily a bad thing um and obviously people still have star power but what's i i think being more consistently the message that we're getting more consistently now is we can always find somebody younger and prettier and skinnier and more talented and they will be here yesterday with everything memorized dear evan hansen is a musical that i mean until very recently was on broadway the star was 16 years old the star of the broadway show was 16 had not finished high school so there's uh, with with kids like him aside, right? So you have the very young who have never really known rejection because nothing's happened to them yet. They haven't right. hit, hardly hit puberty. And then you've got the much, much older side of the spectrum that comes from an era before now. And in between, you have all these people who have like ground their way through so much crap that like anybody working on Broadway now pretty much as to the best of my knowledge is remains very humble because there's I I I think that there's not as much it's still who you know but like Hollywood is all nepotism and here if you're on Broadway, that probably means that you went to 500 auditions before you got there, maybe a thousand. And so I don't think anybody really forgets that. Like everybody's always hustling, always. You're you're never you're never comfortable. The the really great photographers that I've had the chance to meet, all very interesting people. 
none of, like none of them come off as like overly arrogant. Like they've all just been like, dude, it was like 30 years of like paying my dues before somebody noticed. Yeah. Like every, every single one of them was like, I worked, you know, a thousand hours a week for 10 years. And then somebody finally figured out that I was, you know, okay at it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Every now there are definitely people who think that they're amazing, but they tend to burn out quick. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's probably like universally true in, in yeah. any field, right? Like yeah. if you've been told your whole life that you're fantastic and then you, you go out into the industry where, you learn that like sometimes you will get told no you can either handle that and choose to stick it out or you can't and you go do something else you go get your degree in communications oh i have a degree in communications i know you do oh that hurts all right so i'm gonna leave you with 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 one last (laughs) question after that amazing burn um (laughs) what role do you feel like you were put on this earth to play Oh. oh, oh, come on. Um, mm, I mean, if you, I think Anastasia, Anya in Anastasia, I've okay. always, like, before there was ever... When I was like 10 years old and watching that movie, I was like, I want to be her. I am her. Let me be her. And then like long before there was a musical, I was like, I want to be in this musical. And then it existed. And like they didn't call me. And it was very confusing. And then it left Broadway. So and then the tour went straight. And then the tour went straight to non-equity. So now I have no chance of doing it unless it goes to regional theaters. Uh, it's fine. I don't need dreams or happiness. It's fine. <laughs> Sounds like every actor I know. <laughs> yeah. Dreams or happiness. That's for the young. That's for the young. I shouldn't complain, though. I mean, I, I have work waiting for me at the end of the quarantine. A lot of people aren't that lucky. Yeah. Yeah, we're, I mean, obviously we're in Texas right now, and our state is starting to open up. So, yeah, I'm, we're starting to have some work come back. So that's good. I, I had the last two months were rough for the business, which is tough for me. It's tough for me because it's so seasonal down here. Like we're very busy February through like May. And then oh, again, yeah. Septem- September through like Thanksgiving are like peak times. And I, I, I store and I stockpile during those times so that I can get through like July because nobody wants their picture taken in July in Texas. Mm-hmm. But this, I just did my sales tax yesterday, and this April, which is normally one of our top three months, was equivalent to my worst month last year. Oof. And so now my stockpiles, I mean, I'm fine, but like the stockpile's not there. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're the whole, like, we were going to wrap up and now we're not, but the, the whole, <laughs> like, our, the audition season is January through April. Like, that's, People people get apartments just for those four months. That's over, that didn't happen. The right. whole season just didn't happen, and so the whole industry. Like I would imagine, at least hopefully, when this is over, people will be able to say, "Hey, I'm rescheduling my wedding, and I would still like you to shoot it." They, some. Hopefully, I hope so. Some some have. It's the corporate events that went away completely because oh, they'll just yeah. do them again next year. Right, that's true. Yeah, yeah. But like in in terms of theater, you've like they 
they're planning a whole season. That season gets thrown off. Now the whole cycle's thrown off. Nobody knows where we stand. Yeah. Oof, that's tough. I didn't know that. Crazy See, I something pants. New. I learned something new. I learned something yeah. new. But, right. I mean, there's always a bright light at the end of the tunnel. I'm doing very well in my video games, as I said. <laughs> and there's a really good chance that the revival of Music Man that they were planning to bring back to Broadway won't happen now. So some good came out of this. <laughs> M- Music Man was one of the first uh, live, like, legit performances I ever saw. So my, my parents had... I grew up outside of San Antonio. My parents had season tickets to the Majestic. And Aww. yeah. And each each season, each kid, so they had two tickets. And so each kid, I think there was like five performances, and I have two sisters. So like they would go like each kid got to go to one show. Yeah. And so like literally the first thing I ever remember seeing like on stage that wasn't a community theater was Music Man, but starring uh, John Davidson. I remember that. So I don't know if you remember who John Davidson is. I do not. (laughs) Yeah. He was like a, he ended up becoming like a game show host at some point, but like kind of well known. Yeah. It'd be like seeing like, I don't know, Dear Evan Hansen starring Chuck Woolery now. I don't know. I don't know if that's a good analogy. Like known. yeah, known no, outside the musical theater world, that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, I, uh, I mean, I, I loved, I loved Music Man when I was a kid because I loved all musicals, and then I rewatched it as an adult and went, "Oh, this blows." <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I, I haven't seen it in a while, but it's probably been thirty years since I've seen it. So I don't know. I, I randomly from like I grew up in the country. I randomly have like a lot of musical theater experience or like going to it or something my like family valued um, yeah and then I had a friend in high school that wrote a uh, a retelling of Man of La Mancha and so I actually did a summer of dinner theater in Gonzales Texas mm, who were you in Man of uh, La Mancha the king the king the king of La Mancha yeah I don't know it's something like that I, don't, I played like three different roles because okay like eight oh of us. okay Okay. But I, I was a king because I always had this voice. So I'd be like, okay, <laughs> here we go. Yes, I'm, yeah. I'm the king. This is my Madden voice. Yeah, so I was I was tall and had a deep voice. So that led me for, you know, a couple things. But it's, it's a, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, I hated it. I hated performing. I hated being in front of. <laughs> I hate it. Was it. You fun. have a terrible job. I hate it. <laughs> no. Well, that's another reason why I think you should get paid. Because most people, literally, the number one fear people have over dying is public over speaking. death yeah it's public speaking <laughs> and so because i've conquered that fear you should pay me <laughs> that's pretty solid yeah yeah that's foolproof that's foolproof yeah yeah can you do it without dying no then you should pay me for it that's right that's right yeah i've i've weirdly if i know i'm not being like filmed or recorded i i literally have no problem getting in front of a crowd and talking like from an early age like I used to lead like the high school pep rallies with like 2,000 people in them. Give me a mic in front of 2,000. No problem. Didn't even sweat. <laughs> um, you know, we film big corporate events. I mean, photograph big corporate events. And if you gave me five minutes to prepare something and there was 20,000 people in the audience, no problem. Wouldn't bother me. But like turning on like the selfie cam and talking like into my selfie cam, it makes oh, me neurotic. It's because you can see yourself. It's, oh, yeah, it's heinous. The, the, the feedback loop of watching myself is awful. Mm-hmm. 
I get to watch my little abs apple bounce up and down. <laughs> yeah, I get to watch yeah. how like every time I turn my head, it looks like I have a double chin. It's great. It's oh, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The self doubt. See, if we could just be stupider, we'd be more successful. If we didn't uh, have that intelligent doubt. Yeah, I, I I heard something today that I think I'm gonna remember forever. The less you know, the better you sleep. Probably. Yeah, it's also called the Dunning Kruger effect, right? The less you know, <laughs> the the less you know about something, the more confident the more you, you are that you. The, yeah, man, right? You just got to be at like at that real sweet spot. Yeah, you got to find the equilibrium. Real sweet spot of stupid. Of, <laughs> of like knowing enough to like you know being able to like feed yourself, but not knowing so much that you doubt everything you do. Yeah, well, I I wouldn't know anything about that because I actually have recently figured out how to travel at light speed. It's actually really simple, and it's kind of embarrassing <laughs> that Stephen Hawking didn't figure it out. I'll send you my notes. Don't worry about it. Yeah, uh, I, I watched a YouTube video on it. I watched a YouTube video all about the Dunning-Kruger effect, so I think I know a little bit more about it than you. <laughs> yeah, all right. Well, instead of going into like deep into our second or third hour... <laughs> We'll, no, we'll let's we'll, we'll call it now. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. I will say that this is this is the first one that will. Um, um, I just got onto Spotify and iTunes now, so Ooh. it'll actually be going. So you can search for the Make 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 podcast with Josh Baker, and it'll actually show up on your iTunes or Spotify. I'm very excited about this. Um, so if you like what we do, hit the subscribe button. Um, anyway, so this has been episode six of the Make Make podcast with Kristen. Say goodbye, Kristen. Goodbye. Yeah. All right. Y'all have a great day. We'll talk to y'all soon.